You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with our good friend, Gray Williams, today. Our show is the number one tech radio program in Canada. And it's an interesting program, Gray. We're going to be talking a lot about EVs today and kind of around charging. I think a lot of folks are starting to look and think about electric vehicles, but there's still the challenge about charging these things. Yeah. If you've got a home, easy. You know, you can get a level two charger installed. But what if you live in a townhouse or a condo apartment building? It gets more difficult because I think in many cases, there's just not enough chargers around like public ones. Yeah. If you have a Tesla, it's better because they've got supercharger stations. I have to say they've done a good job there. But if you don't, it's a pain to find these public chargers, especially if you're going on trips. We'll be talking with the folks over at Hypercharge. It's a Canadian company that is basically trying to solve that issue. When you look at the numbers, and this is interesting, a lot of jurisdictions, states and provinces here in North America are mandating that EVs make up 100% of sales by 2035 or 2040, depending where you are. The EU is going to pass legislation that by 2035, any new vehicle sold has to be an electric vehicle. Right. But where are we going to charge all of those? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a problem. I'm looking at all the gas stations and thinking, what's going to happen to you? Hmm. Yeah, but, okay, so then, you know, okay, we're going to put EV chargers there. I don't think the EV chargers can make enough money. Yes to pay for that real estate. Like thinking like major urban centers like Vancouver or Toronto. Yeah. That that land where that gas station is is pretty valuable. It's probably going to become a high rise. Yeah. So can they make it enough money just doing electric vehicle charging there? Probably not. It's something we need to explore. Yeah. I think there's some things that I've read saying yes. Yeah. But I question that depending on those where those locations are. And then just the volume, right? Yeah. Like if every car is electric... Where are we going to charge all of those things? So we're going to talk uh, with uh, the CEO of Hypercharge. His name's David Bibby, and he's going to kind of walk us through some of that. We're also going to talk about the Dawn Project. This is interesting, Gray. This is an organization that is going after Tesla and their full self-driving software, basically saying it's a killer. They're not happy. No. Okay. So we're going to we're going to dig down as to why they're going after Tesla and. What's the motivation behind it? Are they trying to save lives or there's, is there some other purpose? And there always is. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? We'll call that foreshadowing. <laughs> want to give a shout out to our contest as well. We are giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone and a $500 charity gift card that you can give to your favorite Canadian charity. This is courtesy of TELUS and the Friendly Future Foundation. You want details? www.getconnectedmedia.com and... There's a secret word today, Gray. Okay. And if you want to know what that word is, you have to wait. One of the segments we're going to tell you, it'll get you extra entries into the contest to increase your chances to win. Let's look at some of the uh, the news uh, this week. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, story out of the UK. They're kind of cracking down and, and looking at the surveillance equipment being used by law enforcement companies. And if you can imagine, a lot of it, where is it made? I would guess probably China. You are 100% right. It is 90% or more Mm -hmm. made in China. Yeah. That's just the reality of technology, and especially when it comes to cameras and that. And the UK, they have a lot of security cameras. You watch any UK crime show, they they can never solve 
a crime without going to the CCTV the footage. CCTV, yeah. Seriously, yeah. like, because I love watching those shows, and I swear to God, something happens. What's the first thing they say? Okay, pull the CCTV footage from that street. Yep. Every time. Yeah. So there are cameras everywhere. It's part of their law enforcement, but they're concerned because of China, especially in light of all this craziness happening with the Chinese balloon <laughs> and whatever else is flying around North America right now. Right. As you can imagine, there's paranoia is running high. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen this our, ourselves with, uh, with Huawei and with 5G and, and the radios that we were going to use here. The thing with these pieces, you know, the CCTV uh, radios for, for internet and whatnot, you've got two parts of them. Right, which is the actual physical hardware, the chips and the boards that make up what this camera is, the lenses and, and the, uh, the image processors. And running that, you have the firmware and the operating system of this stuff. Yeah, telling and, it how to work. Yeah, and so one of the things that we were trying to say to you know, co companies around the world is, we'll welcome your bid on stuff here. One, we need to see the software. And we got to know what, know what that firmware is doing. We need to have some, some, some way of auditing it in real time. And two, we gotta be able to look at the hardware as well. Right? We need to know what all of these chips do on the board. Now, if you have that kind of transparency, if the software or the firmware perhaps is open source, this becomes less of a threat. If we can audit the software that's running on it, if you're looking at the traffic that's being sent out of this unit, um, are these, like, these systems, you wanna make sure they're really safe? Make sure that they're air-gapped, which means that there is no connection to an actual internet, there's a connection to an intranet, which they could then run off. That's a little unwieldy because you do want to be able to access, access this remotely. Of course you do. But if we have, you know, again, some transparency to what's in the hardware. But everyone's like scared of backdoors. But that's it though, right? Open source software, you can audit it. You can watch the traffic. You can see what's going on there. If we're taking a look at the hardware, then this is challenging for companies, because, especially in China, because this is what's happened, right? They've taken a look at Western hardware. Nortel's a perfect example. They've reverse engineered it and then provided it back to us at a lower cost. So the second that that's we have- That's where Huawei that's came second, from, yeah. That's exact, so the second that we have transparency to hardware, I think China's a little afraid, who's gonna do this to us? Which I mean, turnabout would be fair play. So, because we talk about Chinese tech and, yes. and Huawei's and, and ZTE's and you know, TCL's, it's not simple. And we have to realize that. Like everyone's like, let's just buy, let's just ban yeah. Chinese tech. Well. That, that is not viable because no. if you look at all, pick up your laptop, pick up your tablet, your phone, I can tell you a huge chunk of it is made in China. So it's just not doable at this point in time. Would you believe? So Apple has tried to bring iPhone production into India. So they've had iPhone casings made. You know what the defective rate is? What? 50%. What? They're seeing three years to get up to Chinese level of production. In it's India. It's not easy. No. It's not easy. So we can't just ban things overnight. No. We could ask for more transparency, though. We could ask for a better deal. Now, China has not been you know, willing to give a better deal because they did think that they had a strong negotiating position at the table. But as Apple moves production back to the U.S., out to India, around the world, China is probably going to realize that their position is becoming weaker at the table. And the best thing for us in a global economy is for everyone to, one, get along, to not spy on each other. I Transparency. 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 Uh, I want to talk about something yeah. that's hard. Okay. Batteries. All right. Batteries are hard. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about EVs a lot in, in this show today. Uh, Ford. Okay. They're, they've halted production on their Ford F-150 Lightning. Really? Truck. Because of battery. Supply? 
investigation. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl ad for Dodge. Their whole thing revolved around it was really it was really catchy. Premature electrification. Oh dear. Because they're kind of the last of the table to actually, <laughs> you know, announce an electric truck. Mm. Ford has, GM has, Rivian. there's Rivian and Dodge. They're huge, yep. but they haven't really announced anything. And their basic whole premises, we're just not ready yet. And they're not wrong, yeah. right? I guess. Yeah. So they're because these companies, Yeah, these companies are having, like batteries are hard. Like when you're dealing with giant batteries that are going to power cars or trucks, they have to be, they have to be built correctly. They have to be bulletproof. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Like, like, look at the Chevy Bolt. Yeah. Those things were catching fire because yeah. of just the smallest defect. Okay, so can I, can, I take, can I take you back 100 years? Yes. When you looked at the gasoline vehicle, right? Leaded gas was invented and propagated by a man who literally poisoned himself to prove that it was safe. We've been down this road before. Did he die? He did, <laughs> as did millions of others. Yes. So, I mean, fortunately, we're in a place where we actually have agencies that prevent that. So, you know, at least we don't have rolling firebombs going out there and people do stop to investigate. So we're, I, we're I want a little bit ahead. I want an electric truck. Me too. Because I, I bought a big travel trailer, but I got, honestly, we haven't really seen any real world metrics on how much these things can tow. They say they can tow certain weight amounts, but for how long? Like, how much does that really drain the battery? That's a good question. My guess, well... <laughs> My betting man is a lot. <laughs> I don't know if we're ready. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. We are going to be talking about the, the charging dilemma. Like, what are we going to do when all the cars are electric? We're just not there yet. There's not enough charging station. We'll be talking with the folks over at Hypercharge and what their thoughts on that whole mandate to have all electric vehicles. Don't forget to hit our website, giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22, courtesy of Telus's Friendly Future Foundation, getconnectedmedia.com. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk about charging. A lot of people are uh, looking into electric vehicles, but one of the challenges still is where do you charge it? If you do have a, a home, that's a little bit easier. You can get uh, typically like a level two charger installed there to charge up quicker. But what if you don't have uh, a standalone house? You live in a townhome or a condo or, or maybe even your business uh, is is looking at uh, uh, electrifying. We've got a great guest uh, in our studio today. His name is David uh, Bibby. He is with a company called Hypercharge, a, a Vancouver and Toronto company that uh, helps businesses, uh, homes, and uh, also condos get electrified. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Delighted to be here. So uh, this is a challenge. Uh, you know, I, I look at uh, even our, our building where our business is, like we've had to look at getting uh, charging infrastructure put in place here. Wasn't the easiest thing to do, but I'm feeling for some of the folks in condos uh, right now. I hear lots of stories about people wanting to get an electric car, but their, their condo doesn't have that infrastructure yet. Like, so how do you help folks like that? Yeah, we help folks uh, get EV charging in their condos every day. You know, one of the biggest questions we always get is, how easy is it for me to charge my car? Where can I charge my car? And, and one of the number one issues that people have is, is getting their condos retrofitted uh, with EV charging. So we work with a number of electrical contractors across Canada to help them navigate that whole system so that they can get the infrastructure they need to recharge their vehicles. 
So what are the challenges that some of these buildings have? Like where I live, uh, I live in a place called South Surrey, White Rock, and there's a lot of older condo buildings there, you know, kind of like the two to four story wood buildings. And I can just imagine that the electrical wiring in there is probably older, so to speak. Like, do they have the capacity to support charging one, two, ten vehicles? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really depends. Um, that's the, the honest answer is it depends on the building and what other infrastructure they have in place. But, you know, we work with a lot of new builds and what we always try to do with the new builds is pre-wire them so that they could take up to 100 percent of all their parking spaces and make them uh, available for EV charging. When it comes to retrofitting an existing building, you know, we do have to take a look at, you know, how many vehicles they, they want to charge, uh, how often they feel like they're going to need to be able to charge. And our software or platform will actually allow a lot of those um, existing buildings to load share so that not everybody's charging at the same time of day or necessarily needs the uh, charging to be done um, all at the same time. So we have some intelligence in our software that'll allow them to stretch their capacity a little bit. So let's just uh, dig down on load share just for the listeners out there. So these older buildings that don't have, uh, I guess, enough capacity, you've got something that will basically, I guess, split it. That's right. Yeah. 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 It'll essentially allow up to four parking spaces to share. So they'll all have their own cable and charging. Yeah. Cable, sorry. Exactly. And if they were all charging at the same time, theoretically, they'd all get 25% at a time. That's right. Yeah. 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 And it's a little bit, a little bit different because when you recharge a phone, as an example, your cell phone in your personal life, initially when the battery is very low, it charges much faster than the second half of the battery. And it's the same in an electric vehicle as well. So, so if it's just starting to charge, it needs more of that juice. That's right. And if you're kind of near the end, you don't need as much right. charge. Yeah. So the, the one that needs more gets more at the time. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Making sense. So there's a lot of critics out there uh, that are looking at some of the mandates that governments are putting down. I think the European Union says by 2035, no more gas-powered cars can be sold, uh, you know, depending on what state or province you're in. There's kind of similar things happening, you know, between 2030 to 2040, no more gas-powered cars. And the critics are saying there's not enough infrastructure to power all these electric vehicles. Like, what are your thoughts? I mean, you're right in the, the thick of this. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the reason that we have the company we do. That's why we created Hypercharge is to help make sure that people have reliable EV charging infrastructure to meet the demand. Um, By 2030 in Canada, the mandate is that 60% of all new vehicles sold will be zero emissions. And primarily those are battery electric. And today we're at a national level, less than 10%. It's a ways to go. It's huge, (laughs) huge demand. And And the ultimate goal is by 2035, it will be 100%. Do you think that's realistic? I think it is. Well, obviously you want it to be realistic because that's your business, but let's just get real. Is that real? Is that a real number? Look, it's, it's an ambitious target. And I, and I think for Canada, 
and Canadians to meet our emissions reduction targets, our climate change reduction targets, we need to have ambitious goals like that, or we'll never get there. If we said it was 2050, as an example, people will think, well, I have a lot of time. We can, we can make that they yeah, A lot of people won't even yeah. be alive then, right, to, right. <laughs> to carry yeah. through on that. Someone else's problem. That, yeah, our kid's problem, right? Right. So, uh, so we've talked a bit about uh, residential. Uh, what, what about commercial buildings? Like, are all new buildings getting electric charging parking spots? Are they doing all of them? Like, how's that looking? Like if every vehicle by 2035 has to be electric, wouldn't every parking stall have to have that capability? Yes, yeah, essentially. But I mean, are, do, are the buildings being built to handle that? They are now. So, so the new buildings, <laughs> all the new buildings that go in are generally being spec to handle up to 100%. And what will happen is typically they'll start with maybe 20, 25%. This is commercial buildings I'm talking. But all the wiring will be done ahead of time. And as consumers electrify, and as they buy EVs, as an example, more EV chargers will be added to each of those locations. Is the electric grid capable of handling this? You would know more than most, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is no, not today. <laughs> okay, right? so the critics are right right now. Yeah, that, and, and look, there, there's, there's a problem at both ends of this, right? There's not enough d- supply from the car companies yet, but they've all made mandates that they'll no longer produce another internal combustion engine in the next decade. And as you said about the EU, um, London, as an example, will ban internal combustion engines from from entering the city. So there's there's really a supply chain issue here at hand. So really what's going on on the, on the grid is the grid has time to upgrade and the grid has time to green itself too as well. Like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of locations outside of Canada. You know, we're, we're very fortunate here in, in British Columbia and, and in Canada in general that we have clean power, but not all places in the world are that fortunate. So... You know, yeah, but like, to, to get the electricity, like you were saying, we have green power. Like in BC, mm-hmm. we have lots of hydro. Right. But in a lot of places, they're burning things like coal. Yeah. That's not really green. Right. So you think you're going green by getting an EV, mm-hmm. but you're not if your power company is burning coal to make that electricity. Yeah, and that's where the whole shift to sustainable energy is kicking in. Things like solar and wind are growing at an exponential scale as well. So we need to attack this problem from both ends there's a lot of challenges ahead. Like just even to make all of that, all the EVs that need all the batteries and to create, I guess, the wind farms and the solar panels, like there's a lot of materials that have to go into that as well. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're seeing that the federal government and the provincial governments and a lot of the mining companies out there are all, you know, joining in to, to start to create the capacity that's necessary to to work on the electrification that's happening here. Uh, We're talking all about uh, EVs and uh, more so kind of the charging networks. Uh, You know, if you're looking into an electric vehicle, 
you have to be concerned about where you get it charged because you can't go to a gas station really unless they have a, an EV charger uh, there. So either that means you have to have a charger in your home or you have to use kind of one of the public ones. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, David Bibby from Hypercharge will talk to us more about uh, the public charging stations and what companies are doing to electrify their fleet of vehicles uh, as well. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Egerbo here. We've got a good friend, Brian Jackson, on the line from Toronto. He's part of the Infotech Research Group. We've been talking about artificial intelligence, these new uh, generative AI tools that can create images, texts, even music and audiobooks uh, now. And kind of the uh, the trickier side, who owns the rights to the the data sets and the images and, and content that's put into these tools to make them work? I want to talk music uh, now, Brian, and I just want to play a clip here. This is from David Guetta. He's a very famous uh, DJ, electronic DJ, that's made a lot of hit songs. And uh, this is uh, a song that he did using AI to recreate Eminem's voice and tone. Just listen in. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. So for the listeners that have or do listen to Eminem, and you have yourself, Brian, that sounds eerily like Eminem singing. Yeah, if you played that clip for me and told me, hey, here's Eminem's new track, I would buy it. So again, he completely created that, obviously using samples of Eminem's voice and integrated that into a song he uh, he made. He's gotten a lot of flack online about it, uh, Brian. A lot of people saying oh my God, I can't believe it. That was amazing. And a lot of other folks, not very uh, happy about it, actually criticizing him for even doing it. He has come out and said that he's not going to release that song on a record or, or, or album. It was kind of more of a, a display of where technology is going. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine the people that are getting upset with this. Um, one person saying that it's handcuffing creativity and i guess in a way they're looking at this and saying um we're not going to be creative anymore if we're just recycling the sounds of other artists and you know we're asking ai to recreate uh what's existed before uh, we're sort of limiting what new things what new sounds we might want to create but david here he's saying no ai is the new instrument we're going to use this to create a new type of music and it'll be like this new tool that we can cre- use to create a different type of sound and maybe um, a new type of taste that will enhance the music that creators are putting out. So I got to ask your thoughts on this and by no means are you or I legal experts. You know, if you sample someone's song, like Eminem's, one of his existing songs, there's all sorts of rights uh, and royalty issues around that. But what if you completely recreate someone's voice? Like, can you copyright your voice? I mean, it's this is quite the question, right? Because you think about what did it take to get Eminem's voice on that track? And what it took was some sort of AI model to be trained on a lot of data of Eminem singing. So the question is, can we take Eminem's tracks and did the computer programmer that had was training this model, did, did they have the right to take Eminem's 
voice and all of his music and feed it through their algorithm so they could ge then generate new content that sounds like it comes for him and you know what you know you want to think through should eminem give his consent to do something like that and would he want to be compensated for something like that because you can th think about the potential and if it was good enough you might never need that artist to sing another song because now we can just create auto create new songs from them uh in, in posterity right so um it's a really a can of worms that we've opened here i got another uh drake song it's about a turtle in a pirate ship let's listen in Captain, take me out, see him, see Holy sight, no see him Searching for a hidden key Okay, not as good as Eminem. <laughs> no, I'm uh, not buying that one. No, I'm not buying that one uh, either. But as you know, Brian, with how fast this technology is advancing, uh, it, it's just going to become indistinguishable from AI-generated content from the original artist. Don't you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, the creator of this tool, which was specifically made to generate songs that sound like Drake, say that they're unleashing musical creativity for everyone. Even people like me, Mike, that don't have a musical bone in their body and couldn't I couldn't pick up an instrument or sing you a song or even hum a few bars to save my life. But I guess I could go to this Drake website and generate a new Drake song uh, just by typing out a few sentences or probably. But are we really being that creative if we're just using Drake's voice and automatically generated music to create a new song? And would anyone want to listen to that type of expression, I wonder? How would music streaming services like Spotify or Apple Music even police something like that? Do you know what I mean? They would... I think Spotify would love to have something like this because you think of Spotify's business model and why they even went into podcasts. It's because they don't want to pay that licensing fee for every time somebody on their service listens to a musical artist. Well, they the way music works, you have to pay that label or you have to pay that artist some fraction of the returns you're getting in exchange for playing that content. Of course, podcasts, they have a different sort of bargain right you can play a podcast as many times as you want without having to pay the creator of it in fact the creators of podcasts somehow expect don't expect any compensation for when their podcast is played back so when you think about how spotify is motivated to have listeners listen to content where they don't have to pay a musician every time you play that content you realize what they would want to do is take a musical generative AI algorithm and train it on, say, you know, the, all the works of the Beatles historically so that it could um, un create unlimited new Beatles sounding songs. And people that love that type of content would have a never ending stream of new Beatles songs to listen to, and they would never have to pay a cent to the artist. So I think that they're probably going to try and explore where can we use this and how good can it get? And will people be satisfied in listening to this eventually? Let's uh, just cruise over to audiobooks for a moment here. The little, uh, uh, I guess, dust storm, maybe it's not a dust storm bigger than that, um, there's some audiobook narrators that are concerned that machine learning AI will basically take over their jobs 
I don't think they're wrong, Brian. Uh, it comes down to a company called Findaway. They uh, were kind of an audiobook distributor. And I guess one of the clauses in the contract there was that uh, they would be allowed to use the narrator's voice uh, as a data set for machine learning and for AI. And it looks like Apple has uh, purchased that company now. Right. Imagine this, that your life's work is to be an audiobook reader and perhaps use your voice talents for acting and reading audiobooks. And then suddenly you hear an audiobook one day that sounds like you and you're thinking, I can't remember reading this script. When did I do that gig? Well, you never did. It's in fact, it's new AI voice that's trained to sound like you. I mean, this is just like a black mirror type of scenario. Yet somehow it happened without these audiobook readers even being aware that it was happening through some sort of licensing agreement. Although I did notice in that news today, Mike, that Apple has agreed to stop using that data set until they work out something with the union so that there's not going to be new content trained on that right now. Well, and right there, Brian, the union stepped in to stick up for the for their uh, their members uh, and, and the narrators. Basically, um, Apple has uh, said uh, that it'll include all files dating back to the beginning of the practice as well. Yeah, that's right. And this is after they launched, they just launched their book service read by AI in January. So it hasn't been around for six weeks yet. And already it's creating this controversy. And, you know, even when it first launched, people were sort of pushing back on this idea and saying, why would you create AI-generated audiobooks? Like, don't we want a person to read that so you can... It's a very personal thing when you think about just listening to an audiobook. It's like that person sitting right next to you and reading to you personally. So do I want that to come from a computer? Now, Apple says, look, we're not replacing what's all, the work that's already being done by people that are reading these audiobooks. We're just going to create audiobooks where we wouldn't have done so before. So books that aren't bestsellers, books that aren't read by as many people, because now we can do it in a less expensive way. So we can have more audiobooks that satisfy more people. So why shouldn't we do that? That's Apple's argument. God, again, uh, the horse is out of the barn on this one, Brian. I, I <laughs> There's going to be a, a lot of uh, rights issues and I think a lot of... Uh, Time in court as well, uh, trying to figure that all out. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us as always. Yeah, pleasure to talk about this with you, Mike. Thanks a lot. And that was Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group. Don't forget to go to our website where you have a fantastic contest, giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone worth about 1000 bucks and a $500 gift card that you can give to your favorite Canadian charity, all thanks to the TELUS-friendly Future Foundation. If you want more info on how to get extra entries as well and to enter, getconnectedmedia.com. You're listening to The App Show. We'll be back shortly after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got Gray Williams, Williams with me today. Continuing on our kind of EV theme, uh, Gray, let's uh, talk about Tesla now. Yeah. Uh, one of the features of their cars is the ability to upgrade through software, different features. One of the big things would be autonomous driving. And Elon Musk has been touting this for years. Yes. And they have, I guess, an option that you can buy. I think it's like $15,000 now for full self-driving. And I think it's been in beta forever. Yes. Full self-driving implies. Yes. It does it all. Yeah. 
so I have a, a Tesla and I have the basic auto steer function. So it can uh, keep pace with the cars in front of me. You know what I mean? Like it can brake and make sure that I don't hit them. That seems like a good option. Yeah, and, and keeps me in the lane. Yes. Love it. Yeah. I would love full self-driving, you know, being able to stop at stop signs or traffic lights and actually go on off-ramps and on-ramps and tur- make turns. Yeah. And that's the dream of the full self-driving. But, you know, from a lot of the videos I've seen so far, not 100% the ar- there yet. <laughs> so there's one gentleman uh, in, down in the U.S., and uh, he's uh, the guy behind the Dawn Project. And this is kind of interesting. The Dawn Project is kind of trying to bring awareness to the full self-driving feature that is just not there yet. And they actually spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Super Bowl ads showing videos of Teslas and child mannequins. Yes. Basically, these Teslas with a full self-driving mode enabled mowing down these children. Yes. They're fake. Yeah. And so the, the, the children are fake. The, the, the videos ch- are apparently purporting to be accurate depictions of what happened. Here. And so one of the problems that's risen out of this is the Tesla defenders. Mm-hmm. They've created their own videos to show that it does work. And in many cases, using real children. This is terrifying. YouTube has taken them down because who can you just see where that's going? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But anyway, um, they're trying to, again, bring awareness to the fact that full self-driving software and hardware is just not quite there yet. Yes. And I just find it amazing that they would spend that much money, you know, for the Super Bowl, hundreds of thousands, obviously millions in general, just pushing this forward right now. Yeah. So the, the gentleman in question's name is Dan O'Dowd. Yeah. Right? He, runs, he owns Green Hill Software, and Green Hill Software creates integrated software for things like self-driving vehicles. So it's almost kind of a promotion for his. So although it might seem altruistic that he's trying to look after the children. (laughs) What about the children? But but also making sure that as citizens were safe, he's obviously using it to kind of promote his own brand and his company that kind of does this. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he he seems to have drunk his own Kool-Aid, which is I guess you kind of want that in someone who wa- he wanted to be a politician, right? He ran for Senate and didn't he, make he it. lost. He lost. Um, which again, looking at how the ad was set up, I'm like, not really sure. <laughs> I, I can't see why the ads are a little sensational, which I think we've come to expect from the Americans. Like everything's got to be all caps all the time. So this guy's even taken out like full page ads in the New York Times. Yeah. There's a lot of money going into this. Tesla obviously has sent a cease and desist letter. I, you know, <laughs> Who knows where this is all going to go from a, a legal standpoint, but the guy's not wrong. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're just not there yet. And we've been talking, like, on, even on our show, I actually looked back several years, and we were talking about autonomous driving back then, and, you know, even I was saying, I think it's around several years away, three, four, five years, and... I got to say, I still think it's five years away, 10 years. Absolutely. Probably 10 years. So th- there's sort of a concept in software production, um, which is the test environment, right? Which is somewhere where you, you test your software to make sure that it, it operates reasonably safely in this protected environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is that once you launch into production, there are more things that are going to happen in those first hours of that software being live than you could ever iterate for in a test environment. Of course. Right? I, I, I play a video game called Destiny 2, and they do like active testing in and out. And the second the patch drops, something goes wrong because there's so many players. Yeah, so there's, many o- there's only so many testers that they can employ yes. and so many scenarios that those testers go through because once it hits the public, which is literally millions of players, talking about your video game, that's when 
<laughs> you find out what can go wrong. The defecation intersects the ventilation. Really, like, things can happen. And you say, hits the public. With this, with your shuffle in your car, yeah, if it with, hits the with public. Yeah, your, with your video game, your player character might die. Yes. With self-driving software and cars, people will die. Yes. If it's not right. So there needs to be sort of like, again, a fail state where something's going to go wrong. The vehicle doesn't do things that it shouldn't do, but maybe it stops, maybe it pulls off to the side of the road. The question is... You're on a mountain road, and it goes to pull off to the side of the road. If it doesn't know, we're just in a place where this is far too soon to be testing in production, which is kind of what Tesla is doing right now. I mean, I, I, I love the urge for innovation. I respect the drive to create something new and just disrupt the hell out of everything that's come, that's come before. It Honestly, like if these videos are even close to accurate, if there is even a hint of truth, they're saying every eight minutes there's a failure of Tesla's autonomous driving. That's a bold claim. That's something that will be tested in court. There's, you know, and we talked about this a million times on, on our programs. Obviously the technology is there, but also the laws have to catch up with this and the regulations have to cut, you know, catch up with this. It's not like one standard for the entire US or Canada. You know what I mean? Like every province and state has their own regulations yeah. uh, based around this. And again, I just don't think the technology is here yet and we shouldn't be relying on this. The, the or, is, or, or letting consumers think it's there. Yes. That's, that's the thing that really has to be hammered home for consumers. If you're buying a package like this, it's almost like you should have to take a test that shows your knowledge on what's actually being put into your car. The, the bright side here is that if we are rewriting new legislation for all of these autonomous vehicles, we can just get ChatGPT to write the legislation for us. Full circle. <laughs> get AI to write uh, the legislation around AI. Perfect. Autonomous vehicles. It's perfection. I think, well, there's a lot that can go go wrong with that. But it's interesting with the Teslas. Elon has gone away. F there, so th there's ways that these autonomous vehicles work mm -hmm. to detect what's around them. Uh, one is something called LIDAR, which is kind of like a radar. Oh. It's actually sending out waves to f see what's around it. And then there's cameras as well. And Elon Musk has famously gone out and said, they're just going the camera route. Yep. Forget LID LIDAR. Why, which, Elon? Which... Every other car manufacturer and autonomous vehicle company is kind of using LiDAR. Yes. Or, or probably even better, combination of that. Yes. I, I don't know. I would feel safer if it had both <laughs> instead as, of just cameras. As would everyone else. You know what doesn't feel safer for uh, if you're using both Tesla's bottom line? That is a cost-cutting move through and through. You he think? Do you he, think? He knows. He knows that LiDAR would be safer. He thinks it can be safe enough with cameras, but... Here's the thing. What happens? I mean, we live in Canada. It snows, gets a little muddy outside. You ever looked at your backup, backup camera after a storm? Oh, that, I'm constantly cleaning the backup camera on my yeah. Tesla. Like, because I have to back my car into my driveway so I can get to the charger. And honestly, nine times out of 10, I can't see out of it because yeah. it's muddy. Yeah. Like, I just get crap all over it. I'm sure maybe they've got some sort of like vibration method of cleaning them off or something. Tiny little elves that they're going to install. I don't no, know. No, they don't. But I don't, I don't have those elves. Duh, it's so me. You know who that elf is? That's me. Why are you using cameras then? Right? It's got, it's got to be a combination. I think he knows that. Um, it may be one of those things where, again, Elon's kind of head faking at the competition. We're just going to use cameras and, you know, we're going to have this perfect accuracy and then rolls out the system that actually works. But that's Elon in a nutshell. Going to give a shout out to the contest again, Gray, and the secret word. The secret word this week to get extra entries to win a Samsung Galaxy S22 
smartphone worth a thousand bucks. The secret word is hacker. And just want to give you a bit of background. Uh, we're talking about STEM a lot, science, technology, engineering, and math. Those are the types of jobs that, you know, I think a lot of young people are looking into or should be uh, looking into. Uh, but there is a large gender imbalance. Uh, typically, it has been more male. Uh, I think women only make up just 23% of the STEM-based workforce, a number that hasn't that's only moved about 2% in the past uh, 30 years. That's why in 2015, an initiative called Hacker Gal has worked hard to correct that imbalance. The program found the help it needed when TELUS, Friendly Future Foundation, provided a grant that allowed Hacker Gal to scale across Canada. The establishment of the Hacker Gal Hub, a free, lo- a free online learning portal, provides continuing learning for youth and tools for teachers in a wide range of STEM subjects, including coding. So that is why... We're going with the secret word today, hacker. And if you use that, you can get extra entries into the contest. Again, www.getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank all the folks that helped put this program together. Of course, uh, Gray, for coming in today. We will see you again next time. Mike and Gray, signing out.